Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast. This is episode 35, Electronic RPGs. And let's start out with what is an electronic RPG? Well, if a tabletop game is to dice, electronic RPG is to computer processor. So that can be an RPG that is played on phone, iPad, Google device, uh, computer, PC, console. I'm sure somewhere there's a stand-up console video game RPG out there in some way or form. So what we're really thinking about is anything that's a computer-based role-playing game. Uh, with that, there are lots of genres that go into that. And we're going to talk about the genres of electronic RPGs in a second podcast after this one. That is kind of a continuation of electronic RPGs going into those genres, but also going into more of the games. Because I wanted to talk about what makes up an electronic RPG. We, you know, tabletop games, pretty easy. Um, but the electronic does have some abilities. It has some pros and cons. And there are some good things to talk about. Um, I am going to talk about about 10 of them. And then I do want to do a compare of each one of them. So that'll be uh, hopefully fun. So let's talk about what an ERPG is. So this is any role-playing game commonly referred to as an RPG on a computer, role-playing game, CRPG, electronic RPG, ERPG, or video game RPG or VGRPG. Or you can just call it an RPG on my Xbox, my PC, my tablet, etc. So many, you know, thinking about this from the perspective of RPGs in general, Many of these RPG video games have origins in role-playing games. In fact, some of them are exactly from role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons or Warhammer, uh, tons of them. And so a lot of the terminology, some of the settings, the game mechanics you may see are similar in that. Now, one thing I want to bring up is when you're looking at a video game, unless it's a, you know, created by Mitch, we'll just say it that way because I'm not an artist. I'm an okay artist. I can draw stick figures. Um, but I'm not an artist. I'm an okay storyteller, um, especially when it deals with like, hey, this tree outside my window. But really looking at there are teams of artists and even maybe there is an artist and a storyteller and then someone who can program and that creates an indie RPG or indie game RPGs. But there's definitely an artist, definitely a storyteller involved in these. And a little bit of that is that you may have teams that maybe are the same as on a tabletop or not. So think of it from the perspective of like, if you play a big box, say, let's say Blizzard, Warcraft, there are teams of storytellers. There are teams of artists. There are teams of architects that are working on delivering that. Versus me, if I buy my latest campaign and start running it as your dungeon master, little different. All right. That's all we needed to get into why RPGs are kind of different versus electronic versus regular tabletop. But some of the similarities that build into them are things like story. So the story may come from a tabletop. It also may come from an, an extension of that, or it may be included and it may be a, sometimes I use the word splinter of what has occurred in the game. Additionally, you're going to see that story breaking and introducing new characters or introducing new places or introducing something that maybe you saw in the, the story came from a television show or the story came from a movie that you haven't seen yet or in the next version or next episode. 
Same thing with stories from books, magazines, etc. Um, and yes, there are magazines that actually tell stories in them still. It's kind of crazy. I know the internet is not the only place. Um, but think of it as like, you know, a science fiction, a fantasy fiction, or maybe it's something real earth that creates that. Now, the story isn't just the part of the game, but the setting. And I like to think of games and I go back very old games, Zork probably was played on one piece of graph paper. If you ever played it, you used graph paper because you're playing a text-based game. It's really hard because you don't see anything. You're having to make it up in your head. Um, and Zork wasn't an RPG. I found that out. Bummer. However, if you're taking a game and again, let's pick on you know World of Warcraft. It is huge. It's probably boxes upon boxes upon boxes of paper that, you know, graph paper regular writing paper, legal pads, all to build this world. So you do have these worlds sometimes that are immense. Now, are they as big as our imagination? No, but they're huge. So within that world too, we have kind of a couple of things that you can do normally in our, in ERPGs. First one is exploration, being able to run off the path run a different direction. If you're playing on a tabletop, and I'm going to get into this a little more, or really any other kind of game, it's hard to go off the beaten path and see what's, hey, over behind that tree or around that building. Some games just don't let you do that. Most RPGs will open that world up to you so that you can go a lot of places. Oh, look, I see an ocean. Maybe there's a beach down there. I like being on a beach. I'm going to go to the beach. I know I'm being generalized with it. But the next thing that goes along with exploration are quests. And the great thing about quests are that you can actually see things. And I apologize if there's noise in the background. Again, if you listen to previous podcasts, I got a lot of renovations occurring. Brand new to us house. So anywho, apologies on that. Anywho, so you have quests. So what is a quest? A quest is I have to do X to get Y. I have to go pick up 10 things. I have to go slay the dragon. I have to go convince by giving a donation to somebody to do X job for me. So quests are really a, I do an action. I receive either information or a reward. Yay. Additionally, if going right into our next categories in that reward, I may get an item. I may get a lot of items. I may collect things that I can sell. I may have an inventory. Very similar to those tabletops. You may also have, say, what they call NPCs, non-playable characters or non-player characters that you talk to, like a shopkeeper. And maybe that shopkeeper, well, you can buy some information off him or you can just sell him all the stuff that's in your bag that you didn't have. Going again, inventory. Whereas if you give everyone in a, in a game infinite storage space, no one will ever sell anything. If you give them limited storage space, they sell a lot of stuff and they trade it. So inventory really breaks into that space. Now, those are kind of the world and the things in the world. But let's talk about the characters. So when you start in an RPG, you may get to create, or an ERPG, you may get to create your character. How they look, maybe their hair, their height, male or female. Do they have a nose ring? Do they have a beard? Do they have a beard and nose ring? Things to that effect. So you actually get to create your character. Some have very, very, very robust versions. In fact, I think the latest for Baldur's, Baldur's Gate 3, I just heard this today, so I apologize to the folks over at Baldur's Gate, but they had an incredibly robust system to create characters. 
and you know horns and tails and stuff like that and i mean i actually like horns on my characters i think it looks cool um so i'm gonna have to de- check out Baldur's gate but we're not going to talk about games till the next podcast but they found that too many people were just you know going in hey brown hair beard boom not really using a lot of that robust character creation now i've played some games that it's great to change your hair color your hairstyle um, in some games you can play, you can pay after you've created your game character to actually have that character changed. So let's say you're playing a, um, an elf and you decided, Oh, I don't want to be an elf anymore. I want to be, uh, I want to be a troll or I want to be undead or I want to be an ohm or I want to be a human. You can definitely do that in those character, you know, changing out your characters. Now, those are what your character looks like. Then we talk about their actions and abilities. And really, if you're playing in some of these, in some RPGs, you have one of three categories. And you have basically take damage, tank, something that can get beat up. You have something that heals the tank. And then you have the people who deal the damage. And you can have what they call melee or melee damage, which is, you know, sword, hit sword. Or you can have magic or spell casting damage in there. So you do have a lot of abilities that could be used. A lot of these come from, let's say, uh, certain games. Now, you may also be just given a set of abilities and you can build on them. You can make one stronger, one not stronger. Very similar to, you know, my character card in, in D&D. So I can add my character strength. It gets stronger, more damage. You can do those types of things and then choose abilities. So maybe my person can ride a horse. Maybe my person can ride a griffin. Maybe my person can ride a dolphin. Or maybe my person because a blacksmith. I can choose several. And you'll find that most environments that usually have, you create items, you'll have someone who can sew, someone who's a blacksmith, maybe someone who's a leather maker, you may have someone who creates potions, things like that. So there's those actions and abilities. Not just I can stab, stab, stab. There's that. There are games that are out there like that. But you have these actions and abilities that you can choose. Now, What's really great about that is sometimes you might get what they call RNG. Now, if you've ever played an online game, you've been talking to people and somebody goes, oh, that's just RNG. You're going, huh? What's RNG? And trust me, I did it for a very long time. RNG stands for random number generator. That means there is a set of items. Hey, wow. Just like in a tabletop game where when a number is, you know, you run a number and there's a chance to get, say, between 20 and 80, you have a four, you know, 60% chance. And then, you know, 15, you have an, you know, 10% chance, something like that. RNG makes playing these games a little more difficult. So if you have an RNG, it's creating your character for you and you get certain abilities. If you don't like them, recreate your character, start a new character. Maybe you want the character to still have red hair and blue eyes. Great. No worries. Recreate characters. Um, Unlike Wreck-It Ralph, the characters don't scream when you delete them. Or do they? We'll never, ever know. But when we're talking about, you know, that, that random part of it, you may get random powers, but you also may get, and we've talked before about items, random loot that'll make it go, hmm, I got this cool sword. Now I can do this. It will actually force you into going down a path of learning character abilities. 
So you may get things that say, oh, I need to be able to use my hands because I just got strength. Well, I'm a wizard. That doesn't work out. I need to change from a wizard to a fighter. Games will I do it, but some games don't. And some games include, let you mix those classes. So from a character actions, character creation, character abilities, many games give you so many things to do. And some may actually just give you, hey, you're only ever going to use a ability to hit things or strike things and the ability to shoot arrows or throw something at something. That's all you get. Um, kind of boring. But then other games will maybe have some magic attached to those too. So think about that. All right. A lot of character stuff there. We do talk about, I talk about character a little bit more, but I do want you to think about like when you're playing a video RPG or RPG or CRPG, it's the last time I'm calling them ERPGs from going forward, that you can create your own character. Now, you can't create one that may, unless you look exactly like the character model, can't create one that looks just like you, but you can get close. Um, I will give you full disclosure. I have played a undead female priest. I have played a female uh, gnome mage with pink and blue and purple hair. I have played a paladin with brown hair and blue eyes or gray eyes or whatever color my eye color was at the time. It depends on what shirt I'm wearing. If it's green, it's whatever. You know, I'm one of those folks. Uh, but I have played a lot of different characters over the years. In fact, um, took a lot of heat for being the gnome princess. But, you know, that's okay. My gnome princess was awesome. Uh, but create your character. Live a little bit outside of your, your normal self. Now let's talk about experience. Because experience points are all games are about. How do I gain levels? How do I move up? Well, sometimes you get experience through making things. Sometimes you experience through killing things. Sometimes you get experience through practicing. Experience can be given to you through maybe a challenge in the game. You can definitely get these points, you know, there are, re, you know, in multiple ways. And they have different systems, like a level-based system, which is, ta-da, getting moving up levels or a training system where you train something really good. Like my sword fighting is at a level 10 out of 10. Yay. Or you get skill points. And what's great about skill points, in my opinion, is that you can kind of choose where you go. You can reset the skill points, try them out. There are people that run like they must run like supercomputers in the skill points because if you go out on the internet, you're like, oh, cool. Let me see how I want this player to be the most, do the most damage. And it's like, oh, well, here's the way to do the most damage. You have to put skill points here and then you have to hit this ability at this time and this time. And oh, here's a little app that'll do it for you. I don't think that's cheating. I can say I think it's cheating. I kind of think it's cheating uh, because. I think there should be a level of human error in this. I think it should, it gives you more fun if you don't make the perfect move every single time. Uh, that's what makes these games fun is it makes you go back and get good at something, get that experience point, level yourself to where you're stronger so that when you do something absolutely right, it goes really well for you. All right. And then the final area that I want to talk about is combat already talked about how to do it, what we do, stuff like that. Some older games really felt that combat should be separated from, say, exploration. So maybe I had a little tiny character that was like a half inch tall and he ran around the forest. But when combat jumped up, he was big. And so was the thing he was fighting, like the orc. 
uh, orc pops out. Oh, there it is. And so you had this kind of moment where there was a cut screen and an aeration and you had to push the button at the right time or the, you know, the time bar would go up or down things to that effect. Um, Final fantasy, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It's a different kind of game uses what they call an active time battle system, which has a time bar that fills and depending on your status and what your attributes are, it depends on if you can perform the action, which is kind of, fun, right? Like you have to work on, on things so you can do something. I think that works well. Um, you know, cooking works that way. I think carpentry works away. Any of the sciences work that way. I will tell you probably having your own podcast does not work that way. You just, some people just like to talk and talk and talk. I don't know any of them, but it's okay. Um, anywho, you also have what they call classical turn-based systems, which is I make a turn, you make a turn. I make a turn, you make a turn, or my turn starts first because I'm faster. So you do have things like that. And then you have ones where it's basically bam, 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 bam. We're all going at the same time and stuff's happening. Um, so you do kind of, you know, work that direction. Additionally, going back to tabletop, you may have people like, you know, as they say, swords in the front, ones in the back kind of attacks, right? Like you can go that way. So really with all those categories and talking about them, I decided to say, who's better, tabletop or ERPG? So I'm gonna go down. I did my own personal scoring system on this. It was a win or not. But going off story, I think tabletop owns this element. And I only say that is because an ERPG cannot create a new world in five minutes. An ERPG can't take a DM's knowledge or the team's knowledge and apply it in there. Uh, I re, you know, it, it's just one of those systems where you really, you know, the human mind is hard to beat. Okay. So story goes to tabletop setting. I kind of also feel like setting now, mind you, there are beautiful, 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 beautiful games that are in the RPG system. And those games, and I'm gonna come back to tabletop in a second of why, those games are created by architects of, and I'm sorry, architects who develop teams and hire teams of artists, cartographers, writers, historians, real life professionals, people that make big bucks, hopefully. And if they don't make big bucks, pay them more game companies, you darn game company. Your, your, your uppities at the game company, your presidents, CEOs, give more money to the people who are developing your environment. Do that. But they create this and they create it into a box, right? We can't really go beyond this area. Well, because we just, it hasn't been developed or it has, and we just burrito the entire world around and start from the beginning. But that setting, let's just say something changes on the fly. I can change the setting as a DM and a tabletop. All right. Quest. Now, a DM can have a lot of quests, can remember a lot of quests, can hold on to a lot of quests, but not as many as a computer. And people who architect and develop ERPGs sometimes build thousands upon thousands of quests that cover combat, they cover inventory, they cover trade skills, they cover building relationships or developing rep or reputation with an, a group of, of characters or an entire class or civilization of characters. I do think that this quest kind of goes to ERPG. So right now, tabletop two, ERPG one. Exploration. 
you know, the mind is the ultimate playground, and that is where tabletop games can go. Sometimes you're stuck within a 2D world with your miniatures, etc., versus a 3D world, maybe in your, you know, your miniatures. But in the same effect, ERPG worlds can be managed. They can be massive. I'm sorry, not managed. Massive as a planet, a galaxy, a new universe. You know, there are so many games out there that have so many choices. Again, I think these. This is a tie because you have you know big giant areas, but you also have people that can develop big giant areas while you're on the fly. Okay. Items. Tabletop games have always had cool items, and my favorite is the. Uh, stick with a spoon on it. Yay, I can think of a stick and a spoon. However, have you ever seen an artist's rendition of a stick and a spoon? Have you seen an artist's rendition of, say, an armor class that maybe you couldn't even kind of think about because, one, we're not artists? Or you didn't go to the detail, the jewels and in it, or maybe the shiny halo that flows around it, etc. Some of that stuff's great, including additions of pop culture, news, player created items, even people who are like maybe a guy on a, a discussion board that got involved in it, and you know he they created an item for him. I got to give this one to the ERPGs. All right, inventory, inventory, the things I can carry around. I'm just going to be right straightforward with you. I have a feeling that ERPGs have banks, they have bags, but they don't have the level of unlimited banks and limited bags. And you can't just leave something on the ground, just drop it and come back to it. Cause in an ERPG, it has to keep control, you know, settings of that it's going to use a lot of energy to go get that. I think from an inventory perspective, the tabletops have it. All right character creation so computers are limited by what they can be programmed by and i said this before i said you know earlier Baldur's gate has an amazing character creation you can make something look exactly the way you want it by someone else's standards whereas in a tabletop game you could draw if you're a good person you can draw if you're a good drawer if you're not you can find someone who's a better drawer than you and they can help you draw your character exactly how you think it looks. You can put to the eyes effect every single detail. You can spend time after time and draw and draw and draw characters and build and build and build characters. I think character creation, especially with some of the stuff that you can do, and I saw uh, somebody created a woolly mammoth, or they had a woolly mammoth as one of their pets, and it would only be lead if it ate avocados. Really cool. So again, tabletop characters, abilities. Now I can think about doing a somersault and I might be able to still do one on the floor like you did when you're a little kid, but I can't do one in a game, but my character can jump, do a somersault, fire a bow, boom, win. I think ERPGs are going to win the character abilities because they have, you can see the ability and I can push a button and it happens. And I'm like, Ooh, it's almost like fireworks, right? All right. XP. XP is the law of all RPGs in tabletop. It is a reward. It is an honor. But they have studies that show in video games in general, if you level up, it is a release of dopamine. It is a sweet, sweet candy. It is the sexy candy. And I apologize if my mother ever listens to this. I just said sexy candy. But it is. it just sucks people in. Go watch like people playing any RPG and when they level, woo, especially if a new pack came out and I leveled, I'm at level 90. I mean, 
is so much more than if you ever were like, oh, I made level 90 in, in my DM group. Well, my DM group, I want everybody else to make level 92. Yay. Not 92, 90 as well. Anywho. Okay. Combat. So right now it's a 20-sided dice versus, this is the worst part, versus being able to actually see combat, fighting that giant, that goblin, on the screen, that, that evil fish guy that's in there. This was really, really, really hard. And the 20-sided dice is is almost a religious experience to have one and use it as much versus being able to have a controller in your hand or a keyboard or a screen seeing your guy fighting. It's a tie to me. I can't do it. Yes, I made two ties in this, but it is hard for me to choose between them. Maybe you choose your own. You just you choose your own items there. But again, it's a four, four tie. All right. So going through what makes up an RPG, let's talk a little bit about the history. Um, RPGs started in the 70s. So I officially, if you're over 50, you're older than computer RPGs. Woo! Um, there were some originally like the Colossal Cave Adventure. And there were, you know, fantasy games that were kind of, you know built on Tolkien they were out there. Um, and, you know, again, literature feeds our games. Uh, additionally, then we had games like Ultima and Wizardry that turned into things like Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. And I know I'm just name dropping games here, but we kind of had this history as games would build. And mind you, Wizardry was the first fantasy RPG I played and I played the daylights out of it. I still own my wizardry discs and my Apple IIe and I some days play on an emulator and my kids think like, why would you do that, dad? It sucks, but it is awesome. Those games were so much fun. They were new. They were incredible. And you know, those single player experiences like you would have, or you'd have a party and you're, you know, controlling with your keyboard. We then got up to these huge ones like Final Final Fantasy IX and World of Warcraft that were gigantic. So let's step back a little bit. Uh, so we started on mainframe computers. If you don't sure what a mainframe computer is, look at what a phone in, this in your hand. It's more powerful than the mainframe computers that these were running on. But a mainframe was this large computer we had at the time. And, you know, they were kind of dungeon crawler games. So they were very crude graphics. Then the PC came along and we saw newer games out there. And then, you know, in the, in the 80s, we had what we called TRS 80s. And they would, you know, take forever to load. But then you could create a character, you know, oh, my character be a fighter and he gets better. Um, in the mid 80s, we started seeing, you know, a lot more of what we call computer RPGs that were popping out there. And then obviously in the nineties, computer games just blew up. Blizzard went crazy. Um, Blizzard is a Warcraft people, the Starcraft people. Baldur's Gate became huge. Maybe the quintessential single player, and it can be multiplayer game RPG out there for fantasy people, Diablo started. And then we started seeing other ones like Planescape or Fallout, Fallout 2. You may have noticed Fallout 3 came out recently, or Fallout 4. I can't even remember what Fallout we're on now. Anywho, we'll talk about that in the game one. And then we started moving into consoles. And so the whole console, starting with the Atari, boom, PlayStation 5 is about to be del delivered to everybody, and it is going to be awesome, and there are going to be some great RPGs on them. 
Now, one of the things I do want to bring up, and I got a couple minutes left to go here, is there are two types of RPGs from a culture standpoint. There's what we consider the Western culture, which is Tolkien, and what we seem to think, you know, if we're in the U.S. and Europe, we're like, oh yeah, those are that's you know Tolkien, Witcher, you know, I'm playing my Warcraft, I'm got my wizard and my fighter here, but then you also have Eastern, so definitely coming out of Asia Pacific area, some amazing stuff, because you have folks that are doing manga. And they you know, creating cute and creating meaningful characters. And there's a separation between cute and, you know, meaningful because they're built into anime and they use anime and they have a faster gameplay versus like sword, 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 Western, you know, boom, fast, pow, not like the old Batman pal, but super fast. And they're also built for younger players and younger players enjoy them more. The other amazing thing is the plot, the artwork. If you have not played Final Fantasy, play it. If you have not seen any of the Japanese games that come out. So with that, of course, we have criticism. And this will be the last thing we talk about. And then we'll have the next one. Some people are like, well, you know, I just don't like that Final Fantasy. Get off my lawn. <clears throat> try it. If you've never tried, played it before, try it. If you think it's ugly, so what? enjoy that culture, that art, that beauty that are, that's coming out. Open your eyes, open your ears, enjoy that. Because a lot of the things that are happening in the, what they would call the Eastern RPGs, the Western RPGs are taking that and using it. Awesome, awesome stuff in there. Electronic RPGs, talking about all the little pieces of it. Next podcast, we're going to talk about the games, entirely about games.